You're listening to MHD Off the Record. On this episode, we'll be speaking with Larry Earl Jr. about Black Los Angeles history. Larry Earl is owner of 1619 Exhibitions, a dynamic boutique arts firm that specializes in designing exhibitions, providing expert archival solutions, and activating public spaces with civic art and cultural projects. He is also currently one of the curators of Destination Crenshaw. Enjoy the show. So there's so few people that are around now and engaged that were around L.A. for the beginnings of what we now refer to as hip hop. Right. So one of my honors as a councilman was we got to bring Uncle Jam's Army and World Class Wrecking Crew to City Hall to recognize them. Uh, talk some about those those days, the Uncle Jam's Army parties at the sports arena, the you know, the brothers that uh, that the Northwoods down in Torrance. It's crazy because there are probably so many other people who could tell more than I could about it. One brother, um, I'm so sad he passed away. Gregory Everett, also known mm-hmm. in the yeah. streets as G-Bone, was a really big um, purveyor of keeping this history and telling this story. But what Uncle Jam's army and those, I mean, they had huge parties that mobilized young people from around the LL metro area right? for these huge parties. I want to say... Thousands, they had to be like thousands of people. No, they it, were it, they would average ten thousand. I mean, and and they were there to have a good time. They were playing the latest music. Again, it was we talked about what kind of music. It wasn't all hardcore core hip hop. It was a fusion. It was electronic. It was, but it was a time where they could come out and experience a particularly unique LA sound and culture, from dress to the neighborhoods, and it was an enormous, huge thing. That when you think about it. You wonder how they did it. I mean, they yeah, sell out arenas. Is, I mean, yes, right? right. And they would sell out arenas. Sell out arenas. Yeah. They started off, I mean, in places like Culver City at the Ventures yeah. Memorial. Yep. And yep. then it got too small for them. What era are we talking about exactly? For those of us this where we may or may not have been born, <laughs> what era so are we talking is, about? This is late 70s, yeah, late 70s, probably to early 83. 80, yeah. So, you know, one of the dynamics in music is certainly hip hop music is, you know, in New York, hip hop was a reaction, a rejection of disco. Right. So disco wore shiny, you know, sequins and suits and tuxedos. And the hip hop people were like, we wearing sweatsuits to the party. Right. Like we're wearing sneakers. We're doing the whole nine yards and where their music sounds soft and melodic. Ours is going to sound abrupt and hard. But in L.A., it was very different because the hip hop movement merged. And so, you know, one of the things that's that's interesting is the, you know, androgyny was in style in the middle 80s. You know, Michael Jackson, Prince are the biggest ones, but kind of everybody did that. And the early hip hop people were like that in L.A. So Dr. Dre. You know, for young people, like there's pictures of him wearing like a shirt with like ruffles and lace eyelashes. Exactly. Eyelashes, eyelashes, lip gloss, the whole nine yards, because that the androgynous style was kind of in. And it's just fascinating that it morphed really along with the crack cocaine as the crack cocaine epidemic took hold. It really morphed into this sort of masculinity, someone called toxic masculinity that you see in gangster rap. Exactly. Exactly. As as the reality rap begins to develop Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. we call gangster rap now, Mm -hmm. you find the the traditions of dress, the stylized, even the behaviors change, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, because it was about being a lover. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) You know what I mean? In L.A., it's about being a lover. I don't take no junk when I'm a lover. Right. And it sort of morphed (laughs) from that to 
to something very different. Speaking of which, so this is, you know, one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you as a guest because uh, black LA history is, of all the big cities in the US, probably LA is the most underdocumented. Yeah. Yes. I yes. mean, it's just, there's no one book, there's no one film or documentary that kind of does it. It's kind of pieced together. You know, some of it is in, you know, you can find it in the Easy Rollins novels. Right, right. Some of it you can find in the music, you know, certainly if you listen to, you know, Bataram and, and early Ice-T, NWA, you can get it. But uh, what are the parts of Black LA history that you wish more people knew about? Gosh, that, I mean, that I mean, I know it's so much, but like, so much, just pick really like, like what jumps out for you? I mean, it's it for me, and we've talked about this before. It's always about sort of from the economic early migration parts, you know, how people come and build community, mm -hmm. how they develop. I mean, really strong electoral coalitions. I mean, all these to to move legislation that will transform America. You don't know that it actually sort of has its genesis here in LA. Also, again, this idea about musically, how LA takes those things that are popular throughout the, the, the nation, like disco and rap, and they do something uniquely LA with it. Um, again, stylized, you know, much of our how Ameri Black Americans dress, really from probably the nine, even now, I'd say now, emanates from LA. Mm -hmm. It comes mm -hmm. from the, it's not a New York cultural epicenter that you would yeah. think. It yeah. really, because most of the media that we consume originates here. And when it happens here in LA, most of that was coming from people who were just average everyday, you know, individuals who were wearing what they thought was cool, was hip, who were doing what they thought was important. So when I talk about, you know, what should be documented, um, it really is all of it. But I, I understand what's uniquely different about LA. LA is always a city that's moving forward, right? It, you can Anybody can come here and reinvent themselves. In fact, Angelinos reinvent themselves. Mm -hmm. They move from profession to profession. They cross and they blend different things. So sometimes the reaching back in a narrative sort of historical way is lost. Now you'll reach back to take those lessons learned, those, to, to maintain those ties and coalitions, but retelling how it happened oftentimes get really lost. So when you think about LA in the 30s and 40s that you had, like I talk about black people who were buying and building their own airplanes and trying to teach black people how to fly and start a whole aviation industry, that's huge. The only other place that they tried to do it was Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. And Chicago, Sort of everybody left Chicago and came here to do it. Right. The weather was better. The opportunities were more. You could I mean, do it year round. You could do it year round. It was just, that's an incredible story. You know, when you talk about, you know, we talk about politics and the, the, the very, very charismatic and effective political leaders that we have. They're from a tradition of, right? You, you, it's oftentimes you think about the East when you're talking about Charlotte Baez. And I can just go on and on. I mean, she was a vice presidential candidate, right? You don't even hear about this woman and know that she did running a newspaper, being an editor at that time. Such an incredible history. And then when we talk about the civil rights movement, everything oftentimes shift to the South, right? Mm -hmm. You Mississippi. But King spent more time in L.A. than he actually spent in the South. I didn't even know that. Most people wouldn't know it because, you know, you think of King marching and he did all that. But when he needed to raise money, where did he come? He came to L.A. because here in L.A., People had good civic jobs. They mm -hmm. worked for the city. 
or they work for the aircraft or they were entrepreneurs. So they have the resources to, to support the movement because they also understood it because even though they were living a life um, that for them was great, they could send their kids to college, the undercurrent of racism and racial injustice was here in LA as well. And they also still had family in the South. Mm -hmm. So King would come right just to Baldwin Hills. And it was the story that is often told is that when he, the first time he came to speak at the Methodist Church, he was driving up and he saw all these Cadillacs and he saw a couple Rolls Royces. And he said, I'm going to speak at a white church. And when he walked in, he was shocked because they had told him it was a black church. But when he saw all these cars, it's like it couldn't be. Right. And he walked in, the entire church was filled with African-Americans because though that, as we know, the Crenshaw district, uh, which becomes the epicenter of the black community in LA, was at that time emerging. Um, and Baldwin's Hills, it was where, you know, folks were moving from Watts and from Compton and other places to here. Why do you think that LA black history isn't documented the same as in places like Atlanta or <clears throat> New York? Is it population size? I think that that may be part of it, uh, a part of it as well, because we surely have the institutions dedicated to it with UCLA and USC, even with, you know, uh, with, with our, our state schools, with, with Dominguez and others, they're doing great jobs. But again, because it's such a city where things are changing and dynamic in the past, that idea of what's current and what's new. I mean, if you just look at culture, you, you know, uh, you talk about, so I'm a shoe guy, right? I'm a shoe guy. I, I, I get a new pair of sneakers every week or two, right? <laughs> it's, I'm trying to keep up true. what's fresh and what's new, true. right? True. So that's sort of LA, right? You don't want to be caught out in the street without the freshest, without the newest. By the time you can walk in the store and buy a sneaker, it's done. Right, exactly. It's already done. It's gone. Like it's, you, you missed it. You right. Missed and it. at this point, that's if you can even get into the sneaker exactly. store now. Right, right, exactly. right. right. Uh, you know, I could go on for hours and hours on this. I think the, you know, the other thing about Los Angeles, it's it moves quickly in terms of culture and in terms of thought, in terms of tendency, but also people physically move. That's very true. So like, you know, it's Central Avenue, it was the Four Lawn Track. I mean, lots of people don't know this. Um, and again, I'm talking like I'm the guest, but you know, if you go on uh, King and Gramercy, there's a church called Pleasant Hill Baptist mm -hmm. Church. And I'm talking to the pastor and I'm like, Pastor Washington, why is your church called Pleasant Hill? Like, this is a completely flat land. Right. Like, where is, like, where's the hill and where's the pleasants? And he was like, oh, because my, you know, this church originally was up on, you know, Olympic near Union. Right. I'm like, what do you mean? And he was like, oh, yeah, that whole area right there was called Pleasant Hill and it was a black community. Mm -hmm. Like, that's where the black community live. And there was, he was like, there were a dozen or more black churches there. So that's a spot. Like, I didn't even know that right. black people had lived in that part of the city. Right. Uh, you know, there's Pacoima, there's Venice, there's all of it. So if somebody, you're bringing someone to LA, people are coming to LA for the Super Bowl or yeah. for the summer or whatever, where do you tell them to go? Oh, I'm, I'm telling them to go. Well, you have to come to Lamert Park, the Crenshaw District. You have to do that. That's just a must. It's, it, it is an international destination spot. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to understand, I'll tell you, I tell them you got to go to Santa Monica, yeah. right? You have to understand that the Santa Monica Black community was the vanguard of the early Black community in the 20s and 30s here. You have to go to Central Avenue. More importantly, you have to go downtown. Mm -hmm. Much of downtown, much of much of little Tokyo, those areas were Black areas, enclaves. Los and if, if, if you're able to look, you can find some very important histories and narratives 
about one, how blacks were able to grow and thrive, but more importantly, the coalitions they made with different people and the successes they made. The story of the Japanese internment and how African-Americans really, while they assumed the neighborhood, really looked out for the possessions and the properties of those Japanese people who were interned. I mean, it's a fascinating story. We can go on and on, uh, even if you want to go out to the valley. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know there's a place out in the valley called Nigger Hill, right? I mean, a word that we, why would they call it that? Well, there was a man who owned most of that property out there who was a black man. And he raised cattle, he had a farm. So there's really no place in Los Angeles, and I say the county, where if you want to have an understanding, you can see black representation. In fact, even if you go to the OC, one of the largest, largest black beach clubs was going to be built in, in Orange County. Miraculously, a fire happens. You don't say. It burns down. <laughs> right. The whites say you don't need to have this land. And the story goes on. We've all heard, we've heard of Bruce's Beach and other like that. But, but African-Americans, which is unique about them here in LA, which I always find fascinating, is that there was no deterrent or impediment to what they wished to achieve, right? Mm -hmm. If there was something that they, if they we're, they're not gonna let us have a pool, we're gonna build one ourselves. They're not gonna let us have access to the beachfront, we're gonna buy our own beachfront. We'll keep walking until they're, they're not there anymore, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. We will we will do it for ourselves. It is such, um, it's such an attitude that you don't find even in other places that we, associate with a strong ethnic and black heritage, right? You know, they're they're dependent. I mean, this is really an opportunity where, you know, in, in Valverde, for example, we want to have our own resort community. So we're going to buy up all the lots. Yeah. We're, we're going to buy, we're going to form a company. We're going to sell them. We're going to have events. It's it's just an amazing thing. So we need to leave the city sometime and show our kids fresh air and open air. So we're going to do this. It's an incredible, incredible story. So you and I, uh, our, our principal work together is on a project that, you know, I'm very excited about near and dear to my heart. It's, you know, I think part of our legacy for this generation to leave uh, markers on this land so that it doesn't get washed out. I mean, one of the dynamics of L.A. is everybody moves, not just black people. And so you can go to an area that, you know, say when I was a teenager was one way. And you go now and there's not only is it not that way, there's no sign that, you know, whatever happened before ever happened. And so in the Crenshaw district, we want to make sure that that doesn't happen and that we stamp this place and mark this place forever. And so that the only way you don't know we were here is the is, is if the entire United States falls. <laughs> um, so uh, we're doing that uh, by building an outdoor people's museum called Destination Crenshaw. And, and you know, you've served as the historian. Uh, for that project. Talk some about uh, what that's meant for you, how you came to it, and uh, and, and what excites you about it. You know, I, I, I oftentimes smile when I, I get a chance to talk about Destination Crenshaw. One, because I've sort of become uh, a noted sort of de facto uh, individual who understands and knows black history in L.A. I'm not an Angelino. Right. I married an Angelino. Um, and as I always tell the story, my wife, Monique Earl, um, she loved L.A. so much. I just had to figure out why on earth do you love this place that you won't leave? I mean, we live in basically, you know, a two square mile radius from where she grew up. Our whole life is, you know, <laughs> you, you pretty much walk it. Um, and so that's how I began and my love affair for L.A. sort of developed. Right. I, I sort of unconsciously didn't realize that who I was was so connected to it. As a Virginia boy, I didn't. 
I, I wanted to get up every morning and watch Soul Train on Saturday, right? So I had to do all my chores so I can get it done so I can watch Soul Train. But I was watching Soul Train for several things, for the latest dance moves, but to see what they were wearing, to see how they were talking. And that was that's for a generation, right, of people, how they were wearing their hair. Yeah. Um, so that's just the surface part of it, right? But this thing that you said about marking and stamping the place forever, right? So that you know the people who were once there were there and the mark that they left on it. I think that's extremely important. And it was such a great idea that you sort of developed and, and, and asked us to be a part of, to help out with. Because one, it, it does several things. It, it brings the history that is so, des so desperately needed to be retold mm -hmm. to an everyday occurrence where you can see and live with it, right? Um, also, it takes the artistic expression and the cultural expression that lives so vibrantly here and it brings it and elevates it to international attention. And I think that's pretty special, uh, particularly because in LA, it's always gonna be in flux. Our neighborhood is changing now, right? Um, so many people want to have discovered South LA and its accessibility. You know, when Lamert Park was being built, one of the taglines was 20 minutes from everywhere. That's what they, 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 they would sell it. 20. And if there's no traffic in LA, 20 minutes from the beach, 20 minutes from the valley, right, downtown, right. So people are rediscovering that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and so once they rediscover that, they have to understand, well, how did Lamert, how did these community of people sustain and survive and, and, and remain here for this period of time? How are these Japanese uh, people, and uh, community residents living next door to these African-Americans? They've been living for 30, 50 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, these, these stories are, are told in Destination Crenshaw, which help people give context to when they move in, understand that I'm, a, I'm becoming a part of something that not only is unique in this this community because LA has some great community, whether it's Boyle Heights or whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, the Pico Union district. It's in this community, it developed this way with these people. These are their stories. And this is how it impacted not only Los Angeles, but internationally. I always tell another story, which is for me always fascinating again uh, about LA. LA, what has a strong black community are probably like a hundred black people in LA, right? <laughs> I say that <laughs> tongue in cheek <laughs> because Everybody knows everybody. everybody, knows everybody. They're, they're generally probably yeah, related, yeah. whether you live in the valley or yeah. whether. So we're in Cuba, right? And we're we're in Cuba uh, on a, on a trip, and my wife is on the phone, and she hears, "Oh, uh, Congresswoman Bass is in Cuba, and some other folks from LA and the Cuba at the same time." So they're going to hear a concert uh, of some hip hop artists, and they said, "Oh, you guys want to tag along?" Well, I think when the congresswoman saw we were like 20 deep, <laughs> she, 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 I don't know what she had second thoughts about, but we all went to this great concert to hear this, this group. Uh, and after they performed for us in their living room in Havana, Cuba, we were able to ask questions. And I asked, what are some of your inspirations for your hip hop style and for what you do? And this is no lie. These Cubans told me from watching reruns of Soul Train. That's how we, that's our flavor. That's how we dress. We tried to emulate the artists we saw there. So I think what Destination Crenshaw does is it really takes on so many different levels from the cultural, from the historical, from the political, and it shares great, great stories and incidents that have influenced, you know, the world. I wanted to ask a question 
being someone who is from Virginia, right? And so meaning someone who's outside of LA, mm-hmm. how do you think a place like Destination Crenshaw could even change perceptions of what people have about black Los Angeles? Because I, I often hear people talk about black LA as though we're bougie, we don't have any strong activism. And we know that's not true if you're here, but how do you think something like Destination Crenshaw can alter perceptions that people have of black LA? I think tremendously. And, and I'm from Virginia, I'm a bougie. I'm a a history snob. I'm from where it all started. I tell people I can trace my family back to the 1600s in Virginia here. That's that's no small feat. Uh, And when you are able to discover and hear those things somewhere else and that they're just as dynamic, just as compelling, it really does a lot to tear down the stereotypes and help people understand how important L.A. it is. It's important to all of us. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's this temporary way in which black LA is viewed as it's a momentary thing or it was in this you know particular moment I'm reminded of uh, I grew up watching the eyes on the prize series mm-hmm. and the first electoral campaign that they covered was uh, Cleveland Ohio 72 and then they covered Chicago mm-hmm. in 85 no mention of Tom Bradley who done it, who did it before everybody. Right. I mean, he's the first person to really build in a big on a big platform. On a big platform. Build a multiracial coalition and win and dominate the political scene for almost a generation. Um it, it, so I, I I often wonder like what what's that about? Like what You know, I, again, I think it's part of that because LA, the LA black community is relatively small given its numbers, right? And so this coalition building, I don't think people understand how important that was at the time, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about how important Bradley was, but even before Bradley did it, Dollar High did it, right? And Compton. And Compton. Yeah. We, we think of Compton as a black city. Compton was not always a black city. Right. It was a lily white suburb. Right. So this idea of the dynamic way in which blacks have been able to move within the political realm, somehow it's forgotten in the national discourse, right? Mm particularly when you talk about the black caucuses that are formed. The black, the, the leaders and the beginners of that really come from LA. Yep. Where are the biggest, where are the biggest gangs and political uh, uh, offices nationally and, and statewide and locally right here in LA. So, you know, again, I think it has a lot to do with what you said. Um, it's very easy to confuse LA with the Hollywood glitz and glamour. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But in many ways, Black LA, while a part of Hollywood, is far away from that. Yeah. It's very much more so, uh, I say, tied to what the California ideal is, right? This idea of having a life where you can live freer, more just, more fulfilled, is fully encapsulated in the Black experience in, in California and Los Angeles. I like it. So uh, now, if if uh, you don't mind, we're going to go to what we call our lightning round. Okay. Just short, quick questions, short answers. You only give yourself a beat to think about it. And uh, it tells us a little bit about uh, how you see the world and how you're experiencing our hometown. What is your favorite song that represents South LA? Toddy T, Batarama. Batarama, I'll take yeah. it, I'll take it. Your favorite spot in South LA to take your family? Oh, definitely has to be Baldwin Hill Scenic Overlook. Favorite historic building or monument in South LA? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. But it you know is. what I'm going to say? I love, 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 love the Vision Theater. 
Yeah. It's a marvel yeah. of architecture. Yeah. 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 I love yeah. vision. Vision theater is coming back soon. Yeah, for it's sure. Tight. Very good. Well, uh, we've been with Larry Earl today, the foremost uh, uh, historian for Black Los Angeles. You're going to get me in trouble saying that. I am going to get you in trouble <laughs> saying that. Hopefully it puts pressure on you to actually write a book. <laughs> right. Because uh, we need a book. There is no text. For sure. Maybe on, I'll partner with someone. On this that. question. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, there's Darnell Hunt. Yeah. There's a whole bunch Allison of Allison Rose Jefferson. Yeah. There's a yeah. few of them. Yeah. There's a bunch of folks to partner with. But really, uh, again, one of our favorite guests because he combines the history of the black community, what's happening in Los Angeles, and really what we can hope for in the future. Uh, the seeds that we come from and the seeds from which our struggle grows. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to MHD Off The Record. And special thank you to Felicia, the poetess Morris of Morris Media Studios in Leimert Park. For more information, please visit MHDCD8.com and follow at MHDCD8 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to rate us five stars, subscribe, and share with a friend.